This is The Rooted Podcast, a conversation about the Christian worldview and its implications for every part of life. The Rooted Podcast is hosted by Steve Royce and Brady Johnson. Together, they have over two decades of experience in the business and tech industries and share a desire to help others filter all of life through the Christian faith. And thanks for listening to the Rooted Podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Brady. And on this episode, we begin the process of looking at the concept of a sales process and how that this common business jargon can actually help us in thinking more strategically about evangelism. So far, we've talked about the need for more intentional evangelism and how to overcome common barriers that we all face when it comes to having spiritual conversations. Today, we're going to kind of take a change, turn the corner, and uh, begin sharing a template for how to think a little more strategically uh, about how you can approach your spiritual conversations. Totally. And, and I know that not everyone listening to this has a sales or a marketing background, but if you do, if that happens to be you, you have probably heard of something called a sales process or a relationship building cycle or some other version of that. But if you've been around the block in sales for a while, you know that no matter what you call it, it's it's essentially it's the same thing. It is a standardized plan for how to go about turning someone who is a potential customer of your product or your service into a loyal and repeat customer of your product or your service. And I know that we both have a little bit, but Brady, you have worked in sales before and actually a couple different types of sales positions. So can you give us an overview of at your jobs, what the sales process looked like from, from a high level? Yeah. So uh, interestingly, I've worked in uh, two very different types of sales environments. Uh, one being an inbound kind of call and one being an outbound cold call. So I've, I've experienced both reaching out to people who don't want to hear from me and uh, receiving calls from people who are very interested in my products. So one was uh, Dell computers. I would have them call in. They'd see a catalog. They'd call in for the the computers. And uh, we would essentially do kind of a, a needs assessment evaluation of what they were calling for, what their purpose of using the computer was for. And then from there, we would go through that process, building a relationship, as we called rapport, um, over time as we found out what they needed in the computer And then from there, we would utilize that to kind of identify, first of all, here's the benefits of this computer specifically and how it directly ties into what you're looking for based on what you said. In the uh, Google AdWords experience, which is the outbound call, I was actually cold calling companies who had marketing departments. My goal was to get them to buy Google AdWords to market their business. So I would reach out to them, kind of the same idea, introduce myself try and build a small relationship and then do a needs assessment to evaluate what it was that they needed for their marketing needs. That would then segue into the benefits of using AdWords that then hopefully would lead to a sale. And you mentioned cold calling a couple times. And I know, again, if you're in sales, you know what that is, but can you define that for us? Yeah. So we would have a a list of potential customers that was acquired through whatever means. And then from there, we would just legitimate or otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We would give them a call without them being prepared for it. 
and basically try and capture a moment of their time to start a discussion. And with Google AdWords, it wasn't a, you know, one call, you know, then I got the sale. Sometimes it would be weeks or months of conversations with them before I would get that marketing person on the phone and then have a long enough conversation to under, understand their needs and then eventually lead to them moving forward with AdWords. Okay. So, I mean, in the, in the sales world, again, like a hot lead would be something that is generated where say someone has proactively been to your website or they've emailed someone, they've basically, they have initiated this relationship, this conversation about this product or this service. And so, you know, it's pretty safe to make the assumption that they have some level of interest because in, Hey, they called you, right. But with cold calling, not only do they, are, are you calling them and they're not reaching out, they might not even know that your product or service exists, let alone why they quote unquote need it. Right. So it's a lot of momentum to have to overcome. And I mean, there's a reason cold calling is like anyone who's in sales or has been in sales. When you hear about, hey, here's a list of cold calls to make is just everyone rolls their eyes or groans because it's hard to do because I mean, you, you just get, you just Hey, you want to call a bunch of people and have them hang up on you and say no all day long? That's pretty much what cold calling is. Exactly. So what what about you? Uh, Did you ever work in sales? Uh, I did briefly like a lifetime ago after undergrad, before I got into my first round of grad stuff that I did, I worked at a local locally owned gym. And at the time I was working front desk and I mean, I was basically glorified janitor, but I was working on getting my certification to become a personal trainer. And uh, again, if you, if you saw me today, you'd never believe that. But like I said, it was a lifetime ago, so it's been a while, but I, you know, I worked the front desk while I was getting my, my certification and I eventually did. And I became a personal trainer and then I would just pick up shifts at the front desk. So, I mean, in, in the gym sales equates to selling memberships. You're trying to get people to commit on a monthly basis to, to pay you to use your gym. And then, you know, whether they do or don't is kind of on them, but you, you have the subscription. The, the issue that I had that was always my biggest problem there was that rather than it being a process that sort of could flex or adjust based on the needs, it really was more like a script. Mm. And that was, I mean, frankly, that was just an awful experience because and it was awful for everyone because as the person working the front desk, someone comes in as you're, you know, mopping the floors and they just want a rate sheet. They're like, Hey, you know, what does it cost to, you know, to, to have a, a monthly membership with no commitment? beyond month to month. And we had those. I mean, I had all the information on a single page under the front desk, but the script was before you give them any of that information, you have to take them on an entire tour of the gym, show them all the, all the different things that you can do and, you know, quote unquote, build value. But the problem is all you did was build resentment (laughs) because (laughs) they were so ticked off by the time they finished. If they even would humor you, you could just tell like they were, they were just doing it because they had to. It was like, it was like sitting through that pots and pans demonstration so you can get your free cruise. Like no one wants to be there. They're just doing what they need to do to get hopefully at what they actually want. So it was just a really bad experience. And I knew it because I mean, for me, it was just awkward all the way around. Like you don't want to be doing it either. And so eventually I just, I stopped. I I just went off script. And when someone would come in and they would ask for a rate sheet, I would just reach under the desk and I would hand them a rate sheet. And sometimes they would just take it and say, Hey, thanks. And they would leave. 
But then sometimes I would have the chance to strike up a conversation with them and say, well, you ha- do you have a couple minutes? Because we have some really cool stuff around here that you're not going to find in a big box gym. And we did. We had some specialty equipment that was really, really neat. And then because I gave them what they asked for first, reciprocity kicked in and then they were willing to give me a few minutes of their time to to humor me and to, to see that. And I actually ended up converting way more memberships as a result of that approach because I didn't do what my boss wanted me to do. <laughs> Who would have thought? Right. And so, I, I mean, ultimately that, that didn't work out for lots of reasons, but that was my first taste of a sales script versus a sales process and just why there are certain things that just inherently feel like they're the right thing to do in, in the moment. And there's a reason for that. And turns out people have quantified that they've measured it and they have turned it into a legitimate uh, process that outlines essentially when everything is going right, when the the sun is shining and the skies are blue, what should happen um, in a sales process beginning to end. And so that's sort of, that's sort of the deal. And as you were talking too, I, I wanted to ask you, so you had your sales process, you had your script or not, not your script really, but your your way things were supposed to go in both of those situations. But in your experience, Brady, how often did it actually go according to the plan that was outlined for you? You know, it, it was funny cause we did have kind of pseudo checklists, um, that were kind of, these are the main steps to follow. Uh, but because there were categories, you know, it was kind of more of this generalized plan. Uh, but it almost never, you never checked off every box on a call. Yeah. Um, it was always, you know, you'd hit one or two and sometimes you'd for some reason be out of order. That's weird. But I mean, that's how it happens. Exactly. And that, so as you were sharing that, it kind of reminded me of a quote, I think it's from Dwight D. Eisenhower. He said that plans are nothing, but planning is everything. Yeah. And it just kind of, it's to- totally true in, in the sales process world for sure, because hardly ever is it going to go according to the plan, but that doesn't mean that the plan is worthless throughout the plan, right? Like you definitely wouldn't rather not have a plan. And, you know, as we're going to get to here later on, there's a direct correlation to evangelism and sharing your faith as well, right? It's just because you have, you have an idea of how you want this conversation to go and you've prepped for it and you've, you've been over it in your head and you, you know what you're going to say. And if they ask X, Y, or Z, and then that conversation does go anything like what you thought it would, but that doesn't, you know, just because the the plan ended up being worthless doesn't mean that the effort you put into planning is worthless, right? Like it would definitely not be better to just wing it in every conversation. Right. It's definitely better to have a process and have an idea of where, what the goal is, where you want to take it, all those different things. So that's what we're going to dive into a little bit. Yeah. And I'll say that, you know, the, the checklist that we had, even though, yeah, there might've been check boxes, it was more so that we, we understood through, you know, kind of pre-planning and, and experience what each of those checks, check boxes related to. We knew that each one served its own purpose in the overall sales process, which, you know, can only help you in the future, you know, which getting into that, the sales process can really be broken down to an, a handful of components. Uh, you know, first you have prospecting and lead generation, which is basically how you would uh, start your relationship or start the the sales process. Start with a call, 
um, whether that's going to be from a cold call perspective where you reach out to someone or the inbound perspective where they know about your product and service and they're going to call you or reach out to you first. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in a brick and mortar store, like in my background, currently the sales folks that I deal with are in the automotive sector. So that's how do you actually get them? How do they show up at your store? Right. So whether they're calling you or they're physically appearing at your, your business, it's a, yeah, how do you get them? How do you get them there? Right. Yeah. Next we would have kind of like introductions or the purpose of the visit. This is a great opportunity for a little bit of rapport building, right? Rather than trying to sell a product and you're someone they don't know, you know, you get to introduce yourself, you know, build a little bit of a relationship, find some common areas of, of that you might share. Purpose of the visit can be very important. Obviously, if you have, you know, a product that you have in your hand and you're just showing up for, and they've never seen you. And this is the first time you've ever met. Why are you at my door holding that, you know, spray bottle of cleaner? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Just that trying to identify, there's a lot of reasons that someone could call or walk into your store for a particular product or service and narrowing that down is like priority number one. Once you, once you have a chance to shake hands and exchange names, that's typically the next question that gets asked. So what bring, what brings you in? What can I help you with that kind of thing? Yeah. And and sometimes that could be called the elevator pitch. You know, if you've only got a couple of minutes to talk to somebody or 30 seconds, even, you know, having a quick opportunity to kind of explain who you are and and what you're doing here. Uh, yeah. Next we've got the needs assessment. Uh, this is pretty important. I think this is probably the, the biggest thing in sales. Um, if you don't know why somebody needs to buy your product, and you don't go through that process, you've, you've pretty much flunked the sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is gathering information about the customer, what they're doing, uh, why they might want your product or why they might need your product. And a lot of this should be more conversational. You know, again, it's not going off a checklist. It's through discovery, through conversations. You know, I, I kind of talked about how some of my sales process could be months, you know, and you, you learn more over time. Yeah, this is, this is really when you should be asking questions And then shutting up and listening, right? Like you shouldn't be doing most of the talking during the needs assessment. You should just be asking good questions. And this is fact finding and diving deeper, trying to understand not just, I mean, you know what the product or the service does, but what you don't know is not only why they want it, but what are they going to, how are they going to use it? What are they going to use it for? Whether that's a computer, I mean, there's a lot of different software someone could need on a computer and that dramatically changes the kind of computer they need. Or if it's a car, you know, people drive for very different reasons and they drive in very different ways, you know, to get where they're going. So understanding how a person's going to use it is it's crucial, right? Like you wouldn't want to try and push an SUV on a single guy who lives downtown in an apartment who do, who is never, ever transporting anyone. By the same token, you wouldn't want to sell a two-seater sports car with no no trunk space to a soccer mom. Like it's just not going to work, right? So you have to understand how they're going to use it, what they need it for before you try and well, really tell them about any of the products you have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that ties us in, you know, once you understand their needs, then you move on to kind of your, your product presentation or your feature release, right? You're going to show them the, the benefits or the features of the product in question. You know, these are the the things that this product can do. This is, you know, the capabilities of this computer. Here's how my software works, those types of things. Yeah. Like it, so based on our needs assessment, based on what you've told me, it sounds like this particular product is going to fit those needs best. So is it okay if we take a look at that 
and I can show you some of the you know specific features and, and benefits of it. And then that's what you get into. It's right. It's not just telling them here's all the stuff it can do, but here's why you should care. <laughs> and here's how that stuff is going to make a direct difference of a, a benefit in your daily life, how you're going to use it. And it's going to improve your quality of life or, or whatever. But the idea is to tie it, not just to features and, and functions or advantages, like here's what it is and what it does, but here's why it matters for you, because that is, that is how you build value in a product rather than just here it is. And here's what it does. And here's how much it costs. Are you going to exactly. pay it or not? That's not a very effective sales approach <laughs> right. as it turns out. So once you have a chance to present the product, uh, generally speaking, and this can, t- this can look a lot of different ways, depending on what you're, what industry you're in, different things like that. But typically there's some sort of demonstration of the product. So again, with my background in automotive sales with the, the company that I work for, and that that's a service that we pro we work with and for, you know, salespeople and service people in, in dealerships. So in that context, that is, okay, we've looked at the car, we've been in the car and stuff, but now it's time to actually drive it. So let's get you behind the wheel. Let's get you experiencing all the stuff that you can't experience just by looking at a spec sheet or sitting in it and looking around. Let's actually take it for a spin so you can feel the acceleration. You can feel the handling, the braking, the body roller lack thereof, the driving dynamics, so on and so forth. And sometimes you might not have the opportunity to present you know, a physical product and, and show the, you know, the, the true demonstration, but what you have are, you know, past stories or you might go in some cases and, and present past clients or whatever it might be, you know, where, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Sometimes you have to, you have to show how it works through the eyes of somebody else. And hopefully you've, you've been able to do a good enough job with the presentation of the product as a whole that the demonstration through other channels can still be tied in. So when you finish the demonstration, the next part of the sales process, again, on paper is to ask for the sale. And really this just falls into two categories. If you've done your job up to this point, they really should have a very good understanding that this product is one that absolutely fits the needs that they've told you that they have. And they understand how this product is going to absolutely make a immediate and direct difference in their everyday life you know, with all the benefits that it brings to the table. And they've gotten a chance not just to take your word for it, but they've gotten a chance to experience the product, to drive it, to, to touch it, to play with it, or to hear other, pe- other people just like them who've been very happy with it. So when you, when you ask for the sale at this point, it really shouldn't feel forced. It should just be the logical next step of the sales process. That said, sometimes you'll still get a no, I'm not ready to move forward. And at that point, then you would try and determine. So there's an objection somewhere along the line that you now need to figure out what is the objection? Like why, if not, why not? And then what do I need to do to overcome that? So really what that is in, again, in my experience, if you read sales gurus out there who, you know, have written a lot of books on this, some of them will say really, it boils down to three different categories. If someone has an objection at this point, it's either about price or people or product, right? It's either that they just can't see themselves paying that much or their payment or whatever, or they have a problem with you or some way that they've been treated by some personnel there. And so it's more of a, it's more of a personality conflict type thing. It's not that they don't want the product. They just don't want to buy it from you. 
or it's that they really aren't convinced yet that the product itself is the right product or it's the best product or anything like that. In which case, then you sort of circle right back to the needs assessment and you ask more questions and you, you ask, you drill down, you get, you get more information on what that objection is and how you can help overcome it. And then if there's a way you can, again, go through all that process and lead back up to it to overcome that objection, then that's what you do. If they say, yeah, let's do this. And you know, when you ask for the sale, they're like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Then the next thing you would do is to move into some sort of, again, depending on the product and how much it is financing payment, whatever, but basically you're getting them to commit at that point, uh, financially that, yep, this is, this is good. I'm going to, I'm going to move forward with the sale. And once they do, then again, depending on your context, you would move into one of the final stages, uh, which is called delivery. And in the automotive world, delivery is again, anytime you have a physical product, so you've bought the product, you've paid for it. Now it's time to not just tell you about the, the, the benefits, the key features and benefits of the product, but really to get into the nitty gritty of, okay, now this is yours or it's going to be yours. We need to spend some time getting you up to speed on all the stuff that you're going to use or wish that you could use right tomorrow morning. So again, in a car, cause it's my easy analogy, that means getting in the car with the salesperson after you've paid for the car and saying, okay, do you know how to pair your phone with the car via Bluetooth? Do you know how to save your preset stations? Do you know how to work your HVAC? Do you know how to, you know, if it has a moonroof or a sunroof or whatever, do you know how to work that? Have you ever had one before? Does it have any other funky features that you thought were really cool, but you've never used before? Well, we need to teach you how to use those, preferably as hands-on with you as possible because it could be you that's using the product every day. And it's, it's basically a way of proactively overcoming frustrations that a customer is going to have with the product before they have them because you've pre-trained them on how to do all the stuff that they're going to want to know how to do right out of the gate. The other thing on delivery too is you, know, you kind of want to make it quick. Yeah, totally. I mean, you, you want to, there's a fine line there between taking all this time to, here's every bell and whistle. It's like, well, first of all, they're not going to retain that. And second of all, again, it, it doesn't matter. Like that's not really the priority. The priority is what do I need to tell them so that they can get out there and start enjoying this product right away. And then you can always, again, this leads into our next step. You can always follow up and say, Hey, it's been a few days with the product. What questions do you have? What can I help you with? Right? Cause the right after delivery, the next phase of the, the sales process is follow up. You really should be, if you're a good salesperson, you should be reaching out after a successful sale or an unsuccessful one, but you should be reaching out after successful sales to say, how's it going? What can I help you with? What, what more can I do for you? Is there any questions that you have that, or things that you thought you were cool with that, you know, actually after a couple of days, I don't really know how this works. You know, can I meet you? Can I meet you at your work? Can I come over to your house or can you come back to the store where whatever works for you, I'll figure out a way to make it happen and we will, we'll get you taken care of. Right. And again, that's the first follow-up, but really a series of follow-ups is, is kind of the ideal because the last step of the sales process is what's called maintaining the relationship. And that just means that you're going to be proactive about every so often, not, not don't be a creeper about it, but you're going to be every so often, you're going to be following up. You're going to be reaching out because you want to keep yourself top of mind. You want that person to know that whatever industry you're in, whatever product or service you're selling, that they 
quote unquote, have a guy or a gal in that industry. Uh, you know, like I have a car guy, he's the guy I go to, right? Well, you don't do that if you sell them a car and then they don't even think about you until three years later when their lease is up, right? They're not going to remember you unless you've been proactive about following up and maintaining that relationship, right? And, and part of that too, then eventually gets to the point where you can ask them, you know, for repeat business. Hey, we've been in contact. You've loved the car. We have a great relationship. Next time it's time to, you know, when that lease is up, come see me, right? And, and if you've done your job well, they should. They might even refer other people to you and say, this guy's great. You got to go see him, right? And that kind of thing. So again, on paper from don't know this person, they don't even know about my service to this person's a loyal customer who sends other people my way. That is the sales process, give or take. Because again, in every industry, it's a little bit different. But it's some some version of that, some flavor of that. And I think the, the the relationship aspect is so important and it's so easily overlooked. Yeah, it's definitely overlooked. And that's a good point because this is a basic overview of what the sales process is supposed to be. But the, the reality is, full disclosure, that just because this is what people are supposed to do doesn't mean that that's what they actually do. And if you've ever been a customer of probably most major brands or products, like you know that that's the case. Most people do not look forward to going into a store to buy a new phone or to buy a car or to buy a computer or whatever because they just dread the sales process. And it's because people aren't doing it right. Most salespeople, I mean, it's it's sales is itself a very, very high turnover job. And most salespeople are pretty not great. I'll just put it that way. They're pretty not great at that. And that's why the good ones, they really stand out. So the question becomes for us then how we can take this, I mean, fairly well-known business practice if you're, if you're in this industry and apply it to evangelism. I mean, it, at first blush, it doesn't seem like we're, we're not in sales when we're having spiritual conversations with people that, that really seems to rub a lot of us the wrong way. I, I, but I think that I think that we are, and that is really sort of our our take on it. Is this sales process d- applies pretty directly, almost a one to one correlation to evangelism. It's just that we need to look at it a little bit differently to understand you know, exactly how that how that happens. Yeah, no, I mean we definitely are. The research that we've been looking at over the past couple episodes should show us that people today. They're, first of all, not immediately open to having those biblically-based uh, gospel messages delivered to them. But like it or not, we are salespeople in our society today. We're not just ambassadors for the gospel. Yeah. People need to be convinced that what we believe is worth consideration and that they aren't just willing to take our word for it. It's our responsibility to bring that message to them and make it personal. So uh, we're going to start by discussing every part of the process making those connections uh, to us as Christians, as well as the practical ways that we can apply those principles for each step. In future episodes on each of these topics, we'll, we'll kind of go in depth, probably on a deep dive for each one. But today we're just going to do basically a 30,000 foot view. Yeah, we'll pick a specific step and just do a whole episode on it. But we'll we'll lay some groundwork now. And I think you, you can kind of get from us talking about the sales process as we hinted towards certain things that there's There's definitely a tie-in on each piece. For sure.
So to draw some quick analogies between the sales process that we just laid out and sharing our faith, we'll start with uh, the prospecting and lead generation aspect of this. Do you know anyone who isn't Christian? Well, I mean, you, sh- you, you yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely do. Of course, we all do. But do you have a relationship with them? That's the question. Right. Because if not, you know, how do we plan to reach those people? How do we create those new relationships? In sales wisdom, they say that rather than looking for one way to generate 100 leads, think about 100 ways to generate just a single lead. Yeah. It's kind of important. The more yeah. ways that you can think to reach someone, the better your opportunity to have those conversations is going to be. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that every one of them is going to work. And that's why that's why you don't put all your eggs in one basket and try and think of one one magical thing that's going to be your silver bullet. It's like try a bunch of different stuff and almost like pause, like become all things to all people so that, that you might win some. And that's exactly the same, the same way of thinking about it with sales is try a bunch of different things and you might get some people who are interested just because of the sheer volume of connections that you're trying to make. Exactly. And so when you have all these different options and you've, you've kind of thought through the different ways, it really leads into a lot of different opportunities where you can turn those relationships and relationships into something intentional, uh, where they can lead into those spiritual conversations. And so that brings us to the next the next phase, which would be, you know, introductions, purpose of the visit and the evangelism equivalent here would just be when, when someone, I mean, whether it's you or whether it's them broaches the subject of, of God or Jesus or spirituality, the Bible, or even another religion or belief system. And that's just, you're, you're not necessarily intending on bringing it up or having a conversation, but it just happens organically in conversation. And now here you are, you're, you're on the cusp of a spiritual conversation. So before that conversation can happen though, you really need to have positioned yourself as the person who, I mean, to, to knows more than the average bear on this topic of God, the Bible, even a different religion or belief system. Cause I mean, if you think about it, people don't go to just anybody to have their teeth worked on. I mean, I hope not. <laughs> and they don't just take the guy on the street corners word for it and hand him his, their, your keys when you need an oil change, right? We look for people who have some kind of expertise or knowledge on a topic before we really seek that person out to help us think through that, that topic. And so that means that if you a don't have any expertise or knowledge or B they don't know that. I mean, you could, you could be very knowledgeable, but they don't know that then there's no real reason for them to have this conversation with you. And that's, that's really where when it comes time to have a spiritual conversation, have you positioned yourself with this person again through relationship or even just putting out there that they, they know that you're a Christian, what you believe, what that means that you're involved at your church and so on and so forth. So that when it comes time to have a spiritual conversation, they'd know that you're not just Joe Schmo. You actually, you're involved in this in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Next, you know, that kind of leads us into the needs assessment phase. You know, there's, this is a big one. You know, there's a lot that we can talk about on this. Again, this merits its own deep dive episode. Uh, but really to summarize, uh, it's about the art and the science of asking really good questions and then shutting up and listening. Mm-hmm. It's the most important part in order for you to determine what the root issue is, or, or just so that you know where to go with the next step, you have to have good questions that leads them to talk 
And then you absorb that information as a response. It's a perfect rapport building opportunity. If you think about a good relationship that you have with a friend, that's typically what you do. You have good relationships with good conversations where ideally you're both listening. Mm -hmm. But that builds and strengthens uh, the rapport side, which we've talked about a few times as being pretty important. Right. And practically, I mean, when we get to that episode, we're going to arm you with all kinds of really specific. Here are the kinds of questions, the types of questions and why they're good questions that you really should be asking when you're in conversations with folks. And from experience, I know uh, I used to be a sales coach, so I know that in the sales world that it is probably the most commonly skipped or ignored part of the process. In evangelism, it's pretty much the same thing. We, we t- tend to skip over this, but I think we all know that it's actually the most important one out of the entire process. Yeah. I mean, if you don't do a good needs assessment, how do you even know what what to focus on in your in your next phase your presentation right you don't even know where you should be focusing what you should be talking about or why because you don't know anything about them and so that's why we you should you got to listen first and then you can start talking after you've done a lot of listening and so that's the the product presentation in in the evangelism world this would be when you finally speak up and you say something, you know, of substance. But if you've done the other steps, then at this point, you actually know what you're supposed to be talking about and why you're talking about those things and not other things and how to tie those things back into what they said were important issues or questions to them that they had. And so it's not a cookie cutter, one size fits all approach. It's like this, the script that I was supposed to follow at the gym. It's not a shotgun, give them everything and see what sticks approach. I saw a sales video, a mystery shop years ago where this guy covered 40 features on a car in about six minutes. Oh man. And it's like, not only is first of all, like he launched into it 30 seconds after meeting in the parking lot and shaking hands. Who didn't know any, didn't even know their names, (laughs) didn't know anything about them. And he just, I mean, the poor dude, he was trying real hard, but it was like doggy paddle in the middle of the ocean. Like he was like, you poor guy. But yeah, I mean, it was, it, that's not the way to go about it. You don't just throw everything at them and then, well, maybe something stuck. You need to know, you really should be giving them sort of this laser focused presentation that actually answers, or at least tries to answer their questions and overcome the specific objections that they have to faith so that they can move past them. Right. You like if someone says, well, it's, you know, I have the, an issue with why a good God would allow bad things to happen to people then. Okay. you know, you're dealing with the problem of evil. So don't go into the reliability of the new Testament. They didn't bring that up. <laughs> right. Like if they do, you can, if you, if again, if you know what you're talking about with that, but you got to focus on what they said because that's their issue and don't, don't throw everything else at them. It's a red herring. It doesn't it doesn't matter. And you know this is this is also when you can and should share the gospel, but how you tailor that gospel presentation has to absolutely be uh, informed by what you know about the person that you're talking to. And so again, we'll talk about how to do that in in future episodes. Yeah. And I think that, again, you, you have to utilize good needs assessment uh, to then have a good product presentation and be prepared, you know, and it doesn't have to be a back to back thing. So like we talked about in the previous episodes, the presentation part 
is an opportunity for you to learn up, right? Go, go do your reading beforehand so that you're prepared uh, to know specifically based on the needs assessment phase, what this person said. Now you know what resources you need to go reach out for to have a good presentation. So that moves us into the demonstration phase, which most people, believe it or not, they need to, to believe it or at least experience it themselves. This is where you invite them to church. This is where you uh, do some reading of the Bible with them or you know, bring them to your small group. Getting them to attend a worship night or a potluck, that's going to be important for them to not only be a part of it, but they're going to see that you know others don't just pay lip service to, to what we believe, that we actually live it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that they, they know this isn't just, again, like just actually a sales pitch. It's like, oh, you actually believe this stuff? You actually It actually affects your life and, and it affects other people's lives too. There's a community here. Yeah. And so once they, once they have all that, they ask for the sale part of the process. Like this is, this is when they've had some experience. And again, maybe, maybe they'll, this, you'll come to this organically, but if they, if they don't approach the topic of you with, with you of making a decision to follow Christ, this is where it's, I think it's okay to put the question out there and just be blunt say, so, I mean, you've experienced all this, you know what I believe we've, we've talked about your questions. We, we, there's good answers for them. So what's keeping you from following Jesus and just throw I me, mean, throw it out there and you see what they say. And again, just like the ask for the sale on the sales process, they might give you, they might give you some reasons why they're not ready. And that allows you to go back to the needs assessment phase and you can start again. And, and it tells you what you need to study up on more tells you what their objections are, what they might still be hung up on, what you need to be praying about that, that God would help remove uh, those barriers from, from their heart. But if they don't have anything that's holding them back, then this is where you get to talk with them about what they, what they need to do next. And this is important because we've, we've had this discussion before what they need to do next at this point is not a repeat after me prayer, right? That is, that is not the goal uh, because the goal is to make disciples, not to get people to pray a prayer. Right. And that also assumes that there's some sort of magic words that a person needs to say that suddenly makes them okay with God. And it's like, that really is more like magic than like the gospel, what we read about (laughs) really in, in the Bible, what, what we're talking about when we talk about a person becoming saved is they are making a decision internally to put their loyalty solely upon Jesus. And, and they're not going to look to anyone else, including themselves to contribute anything toward their eternal destiny. It's, it's either all of it is in Jesus's hands or none of it is. And that's, that's a, that's a spiritual line in the sand and they need to make a decision internally what, which side of that line they're going to be on. And that might mean that they want to pray. That might mean that they just, they just decide in their heart that, yep, I'm ready. This I'm going to do this. And you just need to tell them instead of like, you know, pray this prayer after me and now it's all good. It's just say, this is the decision that you have before you when you're ready to make that decision or when you've made that decision, let me know. And if you want to talk about something, you know, in the meantime, we totally can, but that's, that's what it boils down to. Let me know when you've made a decision or or when you're, when you're ready to. And, And if they make a decision, I mean, this really follows up with that delivery portion. You know, if they make that decision to follow Christ. You have to immediately surround them with resources and really that new family. Uh, without that, they're going to wither and die. Sometimes they might 
you know, have lost their family or their friends in making this decision. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important that, you know, we are there for them. We're not just called to make uh, Christians, but disciples. And it begins after that, that conversion, you know, this is just the beginning and that you need to come alongside them, walk this road with them and just play a, an important part in the process. Follow-up and relationship maintenance aspects of the process should be a huge challenge to us as Christians, but we should be ready for that challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be looking for the people to become a part of our family. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing is, I mean, to put it in a way that we're not used to thinking about, it's like, you, you got them into this mess. Don't, don't, leave, them, don't leave them hanging, right. right? Because especially, and we talked about this just a minute ago, but especially if they come from a different culture, where, I mean, they, they could literally be giving up everything about their life and who they, who they once were in order to make this decision. If they're leaving family, they have to be stepping from a family to a family, or this just isn't going to pencil for them. And it's, it's not going to stick. And that really is what it should be. But so often that's not what it is. And that's our failure as Christians. And so on a one-on-one, if you're actually having this conversation with someone and this is the point you get to together, you you have to you have to take ownership of helping to shepherd them spiritually. And that's where the follow-up comes in. If this person, you know, doesn't happen to join your church, or even if they they do, but maybe you have multiple services and they go to a different different service because it fits their schedule, whatever the case, if you're not regularly seeing them anyway outside of church at, at church then you need to offer to meet with them regularly or with a group of others regularly to to mentor them, to help them grow, to be a discipleship and accountability and a question-answering outlet for them. And those are really important things, frankly, that for all of us to have. And I know most of us don't have all those things in our lives, but we really should. But just because maybe we don't have it doesn't mean we shouldn't provide it for for them, right? You can be you can be a resource for this person that's going to make all the difference in their long term spiritual growth. Definitely, you know, and I think you know that ties into just maintaining the relationship is kind of our final point. You know, eventually you can challenge a person that you've been meeting with uh, to really begin the process of discipling someone else in their life. That way you can become a spiritual grandparent of sorts, mm-hmm. you know, creating disciples who create disciples is it's not just a goal, but it's scriptural. Yeah. Second Timothy two, two, or he, Paul encourages Timothy to entrust entrust this to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. Right. So there's multiple generations of, of disciples happening there. And that's, I mean, again, this is, this isn't right away, but this is, if you're doing your, your follow-up on a regular basis and this person is growing then at some point, that could be months, that could be years, but eventually you have the you know relationship and rapport built with them where you can look them in the eye and say, who are you pursuing spiritual conversations with? You know, Who are you attempting to do this process with? And to challenge them to go out and do the very same thing that you did with them. And, and that's, that's really what it's about is building that long-term, long-term disciples. And again, like we said, they need a family to be able to be a part of. And so if you're not creating that for them, if you're not offering that to them, then I think we all need to kind of look at ourselves and just say, then what are we doing this for? Right? Because if we really believe that when it's all said and done, we are family and we're going to be part of a forever family together, 
with each other for eternity, well, if we're not acting like a family now, it's going to be kind of awkward when we get, <laughs> when we get to, to eternity and we're all supposed to act like family, right? So now is the time <laughs> to do it. Now is the time to lean into that and to, to really, you know, challenge ourselves, challenge each other to, to step up to the plate and to really do this because not only can it be done, it, it should be done this way, I think. And so, I mean, what do you think there? It seems like there really is something to this idea of the sales process in our culture anyway, yeah. having this direct correlation to, to evangelism and giving us a pretty helpful framework for how we think about this stuff. Yeah. I think if you follow the steps and you, you apply it in the way we've kind of described, I think it makes perfect sense. You know, just coming from that, that sales background, uh, you can see the direct tie in, uh, you know, and the, the sales process doesn't just help you. I mean, it really, it really informs you as to the, the best practices in relationship building. Thanks for joining us on the Rooted Podcast, a creation of Rooted Productions and an affiliate of the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona. For more information about the podcast or to submit a question or comment, please visit us at rooted.productions. Follow us on Instagram at rooted.productions or email podcast at rooted.productions. That's rooted.productions. We hope you'll join us next time.